Well, good morning. Again, I'm excited about this morning. We're getting back into our um, Timothy series. Over the past couple of weeks, we've, we've been focusing in on Easter. Week before last, we looked at the triumphant entry. Last week, we celebrated the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and now this morning, we're going to return to our series through 1 Timothy, and if you recall, our title for this sermon series has been God's Design for His Church, and throughout this series, what we've looked at is we've looked at a church that had many problems. There was a lot of internal struggles that were going on within it. Um, There was false doctrine being taught, false teachers were present in the church, and so Paul leaves Timothy behind on on one of his journeys to pastor that church, and he instructs Timothy in the area of leadership. So he tells him to teach correctly, and then he tells him to um, how how the church should look, um, how the church is to act, and we've looked at how we need to be a people as we've studied this, we need to be a people that pray. Um, if you recall, we need to pray for all people because Jesus died for all people, and now we must go to all people. And so we've looked at many different things throughout the, the book of Timothy so far. And this morning, what we're going to look at is the importance of caring for one another. We are a family. Our title for this morning is The Family of God. All of us are family. If we are Christians, we are connected to the greater church, and we're also connected to the local church. And like any family, okay, we're not perfect, are we? Remember back several months ago, we looked at how, how there's a little bit of dysfunction within every family, and that goes for the church as well as our individual families. And so this morning, what we're going to look at is we're going to look at how there was a little bit of dysfunction within this church in Ephesus. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me this morning to 1 Timothy chapter 5. We're going to look at verses 1 through 16 together. 1 Timothy chapter 5, we're going to look at verses 1 through 16 together. This is what God's Word says. Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. Honor widows who are truly widows, but if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. She who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. Command these things as well, so that they may be without reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, especially for members of his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband and having a reputation for good works. If she has brought up children has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work, but refused to enroll younger widows, for when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry, and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. 
Besides that, they learn to be idlers, going about from house to house, and not only idlers, but also gossip and busybodies, saying what they should not. So I would have younger widows marry, bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander. For some have already strayed after Satan. If any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened so that it may care for those who are truly widows. So our message point this morning is this. The church must take care of our elderly and our widows. Our first point is this. We are to encourage one another. In verse 1 and 2, we read, Again, do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. A couple weeks ago, we looked at how Paul had instructed Timothy to live a godly life. And he wrote in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12, a set of instructions for how he is to live his life. He, he said, let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believer an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. What Paul is telling Timothy here is not to give other people a reason to question your leadership or to question your faith. Okay, And now what Paul is going to do is he is going to instruct Timothy to make sure that he does not abuse his leadership position within the church. He is not to, to rule with an iron fist. He is not to belittle other people. He's not to look down upon other people as he leads them. So notice first here, we are to encourage our brothers in Christ. Let me ask you this question. Um, or make this statement, sometimes the truth hurts, doesn't it? How many of you have ever been um, corrected in your life? Has that ever happened? How many of you have ever had someone say something to you that penetrated so deep into your heart that it left a scar? Most of us in this room, I have waited about 20 years to share this next illustration with you. Okay, um, not long after Danny and I were married, um, we were getting dressed and we were going over to my parents' house, I believe, for, for lunch or for a family function or something. And Danny looks at me and she goes, you're not going to wear that, are you? And I said, yeah, why? And her exact words, okay, were these, you don't want to be an embarrassment to your family, do you? Who says that? Seriously, who says that? I want you to know right now that has left an eternal scar upon me, okay? If I have ever needed um, professional help, it was after that statement right there. If I've ne ever needed to visit a psychologist, it was because of that there. And I want you to know now, I'm not bitter, but I haven't gotten over it, um, and in fact, I often bring that up to my wife, you know, like weekly. I'll say, you don't want to be an embarrassment to your family, do you? Well, here's the deal, okay? The truth hurts, all right? Probably what she said to me was probably spot on. You know, I'm colorblind, so there no, there's no telling what, what I had on on that day, okay? But here's the reality. She could have said it in a less damaging way, right? 
Remember that, okay, next time, all right? Thank you. She gave me the thumbs up, so maybe there'll be hope for our marriage in the future. Here's the truth, okay? Here's the reality. Sometimes the truth hurts if you speak the truth in a wrong way. We know that the Ephesians had many problems, right? And Timothy was tasked with correcting those many wrongs. And so what Paul is telling Timothy here is speak the truth in love. Do not belittle those needing correction. You know, obviously, we looked at this. Timothy was a young man, okay? He probably, when he passed through this church, was somewhere in his 30s. A person was not considered to be mature until they hit about 40 years of age. So, so Timothy was tasked with correcting the wrong within the church. And so that would have required him to have many conversations with people older than him. And so Paul's saying, hey, when you have these conversations with people, do it in a loving, correcting way, not in a belittling way. In Leviticus 19, verse 32, we read these words. You shall stand up before the gray head and honor the face of an old man, and you shall fear your God. I am the Lord. We're to respect our men in our church, aren't we? We're to respect all age groups, both old and young, but we're to show greater respect for our elderly. Am I right? So we need to care for our elderly men in this church. And we also are to care for our sisters in Christ. We are to speak to older women like our mothers. Timothy had a very special relationship with his mother and his grandmother. We know that because Paul made reference to that. In 2 Timothy 1.5, we read, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. So we are to treat our older women like we would treat our own mothers. We are to honor them, and then we are also to treat younger women like we would our sisters. How do we treat our sisters, okay? We don't pull their hair, okay? If you're an older brother and you got a younger sister, that's not how we do it, right? We protect them, right? We protect their purity. We protect their dignity. We we protect their honor as well. So we are not to let the world take advantage of our mothers and our sisters. Paul wants Timothy to correct, but he wants him to do it in a loving way. And these are good words for all of us in this room. That's how we are to respond to one another, am I right? We are to encourage one another, build each other up, not tear each other down. And that starts at the top and all the way down to the bottom within any kind of leadership that, that we have the opportunity to be a part of, church or business world, home or, or just out and about as we do life. Notice next, we are to care for one another. The Bible refers to a variety of people that you and I are to care for. We are to care for the strangers. We are to care for the fatherless. We are to care for the orphans. Jesus, as we read in our opening verse this morning, instructed us to take care of the least of these. That would be the poor. That would be the hungry, the sick, and the prisoner. And we're also instructed to take care of the widow, aren't we? The bottom line is this. We are to take care of one another. 
those within the church and those also outside of the church. And we know one of the first problems that the, the early church experienced was in the area of taking care of the widows within the church. Do you remember what did the Hellenists um, complain about? They complained about how their widows were not being taken care of as well as the Jewish widows were being taken care of. And so what did the apostles do? They, they began the servant ministry in the church. We call it the deacon ministry in the church. And what do the deacons do? One of the things that they do is they take care of the widows and they take care of others within the church. What we see here in this passage, passage of scripture, and as we've looked at throughout this book of, of Ephesians, is this, that, that women are highly valued in the church. They were highly valued by Christ. They were highly valued by the apostles as well. If they had not been, then we would not be addressing the widows this morning within our focal passage. They were an important part of the church, and they needed the care. And we're going to get into that in just a second a little bit more. But one commentator shared these words, God is not only the father of the fatherless, but he is also the defender of the widows. You and I are to defend the widows. We are to defend them and protect them and to come alongside them and help them. Throughout the Bible, God shows particular care for widows. In the Old Testament, in Exodus twenty-two, twenty-two, we read, you shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. Okay, that is, was God's instruction to Moses and to the nation of Israel that they were to take care of widows. Okay? In the New Testament, Jesus chastised the religious leaders because they took advantage of the widows. In Mark chapter 12, 38 through 40, we read, And in his teaching, he said, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts. But notice what, what Jesus says about them in verse 40 who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive their great condemnation. So the religious leaders took advantage of the widows. But notice what James says. This is instruction for us as a church. James in, in James one twenty seven recorded these words, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So we have a responsibility as a church to take care of our widows, don't we? Notice this, we are to take care of true widows. In verse 3, we read, honor widows who are truly widows. Okay, remember, this is the first century. Okay, things were a lot different 2,000 years ago than they are today. Okay, people didn't have 401ks. They didn't have retirement plans. There were no senior um, assisted living facilities. Um, if a woman was left as a widow um, and she had no family to support her, then she would be a destitute. That's why the church played a pivotal role in the life of a widow. Because they were the only one, really, that was willing to care for the widows. And so Paul is instructing Timothy here to take care 
of widows in the church. So Paul tells Timothy that the church is not to abdicate their role when it comes to the care of widows, but they are to step up and help. And that goes for us as well. We need to take care of our widows, right? We need to take care of our widowers. We need to take care of those in the church that we would deem as being um, a part of the least of these as well, as well as those outside the doors of the church. But notice the church is not to be the first one to help widows, okay? We are to come alongside widows with families. If a widow has a family, the family is to take the lead in taking care of their own family members. In verse 4, Again, we read, but if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. I would be willing to say that, that, that some families do a very good job of taking care of, of their widows and the elderly within their homes. Um, some cultures probably do a much better job than we do as Americans, right? Um, I remember several years ago I was in Israel, and and the pastor of of a local church, his name was Afif. He took me to his house, and we were going over there um, to pick something up or something. I don't remember what the reason was, but as we showed up, man, we come to this big old three story house, and I'm like, Pastor, man, they must pay you well here. And he said, No, here's how it works here. He said the bottom floor is where my parents live. The middle floor is where we live, and the top floor is where our children live. And, and so the, 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 the idea here is that, you know, once his family does pass away, most likely they'll move down to the bottom, and this kid will come down, and there'll be another kid that will move into that top house, and it will just be a cycle. Why? Because they take care of their families. And, and that's a responsibility we have as well, isn't it? We are to take care of our families. We are to take care of our elderly parents as well as our widows and our widowers um, as well. The church has a responsibility to do this. Does that mean um, that, that recognizing that the family has the primary role, does that mean that as the church we abdicate our role? No, we come alongside and we support families, don't we? We help out families when they're struggling. Um, you know, the reality is that, that you know, in some cultures, um, you, you grow up in one city and you die in that same city that you grow up in. Well, that's not the case here in America, isn't it? Is it? You know, um, a lot of times, you know, as we're growing up, our motto is, as soon as I grow up, I'm leaving this city. I'm never returning to this city. Um, that's what I said. And, and here I still live in Collin County, and I'm 46 years of age. And so I know that my son often says that I'm never going to live in this area, but he needs to watch those words because God may bring him back to Collin County, which is a good thing because he'll be around to take care of Danny and I one day. Um, but we aren't to abdicate our role. We are to come alongside and support family members. But because some families are separated by miles, we may indeed have a primary role as we help our elderly or help 
our widows, our widowers in the church. But notice what Scripture says of the children who do not take care of their widowed family members. In verse 8, we read, But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. I mean, those are some powerful words, aren't they? You know, basically, this says here, if you don't take care of the widows in your, in your family, then you are worse than an unbeliever. I don't think any of us want that title, do we? I was reading as I was preparing for this message a, a, a story that CNN put out many years ago, but it said, a CNN report several years ago told the story of Pramita Das, who lived in India. At the age of 12, she married. At 14, she had a baby. At 15, both her husband and child died. For 70 years, she has been a widow. In India, widows are the poorest of the poor. Society shuns them when their husbands die, not for religious reasons, but because of tradition and because they're seen as a financial drain on their families. A 70-year-old widow by the name of Radha Rani said, Now I have to loiter just for a bite to eat. When her husband of 50 years died, she was instantly ostracized by all those she thought loved her, including her own son. She said this. She said, my son tells me you have grown old. Now who is going to feed you? Go away. Her eyes filled with tears. What do I do? My pain had no limits. Widows in parts of India cannot remarry. They must not wear jewelry. They are forced to shave their heads and typically wear white. Even their shadows are considered to be bad luck. They are involved. Um, they are not invited to weddings because it might bring bad luck upon the bride and groom. Hindus have long believed that death in the town of Varindavan will free them from the cycle of life and death. So thousands of widows have flocked to this town, hoping that death will save them from being condemned to such a life again. And believe, remember, Hindus believe in reincarnation, so they don't want to have this cycle um, repeat itself. And so they go to this city, hoping that they are going to find be redeemed, I guess you would say. They are reduced to begging in front of temples, looking for some scraps of food. One writer said, in the traditional view, they are physically alive, but socially dead. What a tragedy. You and I must guard against this. We must reach out and support our widows and support the family of our widows as well, right? And notice our final point this morning is this. The character of widows determines support. Okay, now I know that that sounds a little harsh, doesn't it? But we're going to break this apart a little bit. And we're going to look at how Paul kind of um, breaks up widows into four categories. There are the godly widows, there are worldly widows, there are older widows, and there are younger widows. So first, let's look at the, the godly widows here. In verse 5, Paul writes, She who is truly a widow, left alone, has set her hope on God, and continues in supplication and prayer night and day. So what does that tell us? It tells us that there are some godly widows out there, right? And you, need, you and I need to support such women. These widows depend on God, and they are devoted to prayer. In fact, Paul speaks of these women as praying night and day. You know what? Some of the greatest prayer warriors in our church are some of our widows. In fact, they've come up to me on more than one occasion and say, hey, I pray for you. 
Man, I pray for this church every single day. Man, we need to honor women like that. And we need to lift up women like that because they have much, can add much value to our church, can't they? You know, and um, right after Jesus was born, a few days um, after, he was presented in the temple. And, and in this story, in Luke chapter 2, we come across a woman by the name of Anna. And this is the words that Luke recorded. In Luke 2, 36 to 38, he speaks of her like this. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at the very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. You know, that's such a powerful story there because this woman had had been waiting on the promised Messiah, right? She was in the temple night and day praying in great anticipation of the Lord's return. You know, some of our widows, man, they're praying not for the first advent because that's already happened. They're praying for the second advent, for the Lord Jesus Christ to return again for his church, to return again to establish his church upon this earth. That's going to be a glorious day. In James 5, 16, we read these words, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. May all of our widows and widowers and men and women, old and young, be people of prayer, right? Because what does this say? There is great power, and prayer works, doesn't it? Prayer changes us. It changes the lives of others. It changes this church. It changes people's trajectory. Prayer works. Notice this. There are worldly widows that Paul speaks of too. In verse 6, he says, but she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. This woman gives in to the desires of the flesh, and we're told she is spiritually dead. There is no evidence of Christ in her life. Paul says that we do not have an obligation to take care of such a woman. When she shows up for a handout that will not be used to better herself, but will be used to, to, to in, continue in her devious ways, we don't have a responsibility to give her a handout. Because there comes a point when we become enablers of individuals as opposed to helpers, right? And then Paul goes on to say in 1 Timothy 5, 11 through 13, he says, But refuse to enroll younger women, widows, for when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry, and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. Besides that, they learn to be idlers, going about from house to house, and not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies, saying what they should not. So what do worldly widows do? Man, they allow their passions to draw them away from Christ. They are idlers. They are lazy people. They're gossipers, and, and they're busybodies. Okay, that's what Paul says here. Okay, are all younger women like that? Absol- younger widows like that? Absolutely not. 
Are we to abdicate our role in helping younger widows that may be like this? Absolutely not. What are we to do? We are to come alongside them and help them and encourage them and walk with them and disciple them. Paul isn't saying that you wash your hands of them here, okay? He's not saying that at all. He's, we, we are to disciple them just like we are to disciple all people. So, so there are godly women, widows, and worldly widows, and then notice what we are instructed to do. To do. We are to care for older widows. In verse 9 and 10 we read, Let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband and having a reputation for good works. If she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work. These women are to be valued integral parts within the church because they have much to offer the church. Okay, their godliness has much to to offer within the church. We see here, Paul speaks of their character, they're mature. And he says that they need to be faithful, the wife of one husband. They need to have cared for children, whether it's their own children or other children. They are to be humble servants and devoted to good works. Here's what Paul is telling Timothy. He's telling him that these widows have much to offer the church. They are not washed up, but as long as they still have breath in their lungs, they can play a significant role within the church. And so what are we to do? as the church. We are to use such widows. We are to empower such widows, and we are to give them a place of service within Christ's church. We are to unleash them so that they can do the good works that God has prepared them in advance to do. Okay, and then finally, we see here that Paul instructs Timothy to encourage younger widows. In verse 14, so I would have younger widows marry, bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander. We are to encourage younger widows to marry, okay? We need to remember that Paul is writing to a church that had all kinds of problems within it. Some of these false teachers in the church were, were, were telling people that it wasn't right to get married. And so Paul is pointing them back to creation's beginning and saying, hey, the marriage was instituted by God. It was set up by God. Marriage is a good thing. And so, yeah, Paul said at other times that it's better for a person to remain single. And he said that not because marriage was bad, but because for some people it's better to remain single so that they can be about the ministry that God had set them apart to do. But all people, all Christians can't remain single, right? If we did that, then the church would die, wouldn't it? But we are to marry. Marry is a, marriage is a good thing. And Paul is making that abundantly clear. And he's telling um, Timothy, hey, instruct the younger women. Give them permission to marry again. Give them permission to have children. Give them permission to have a family and to manage their household and to do it well. Why? What benefit is that? Because that does not allow the adversary a foothold into that younger woman's life so that she doesn't become a worldly widow. And so Paul is instructing her here and encouraging her here. There is much good that both younger widows and 
older widows can provide the church. Same is true for younger widowers and older widowers, for the elderly, both men and women. There are much that everyone has to offer the church. And what we're instructed to do is we're instructed as a faith family to care for one another. And that's what we see all throughout the pages of God's Word and, and, and specifically within our focal passage this morning. Bottom line is this. You and I are to care for one another. We are to care for our elderly, care for our widows, and to care for one another. In fact, throughout God's Word, we see how we are to take care of one another. We are to love one another, serve one another, strengthen one another, help one another, encourage one another, care for one another, forgive one another, submit to one another, commit to one another. You kind of get the point, right? All throughout God's Word, we're instructed to take care of one another. Let's not, let's not abdicate our role, okay, as Christ's family, okay? And let's kind of also keep in mind that we are a family. We are a church, and we want to represent Christ well within the church, don't we? Takeaway is this. How can you demonstrate care for others within the church? What elderly person can you help? What widow can you help? What widower can you help? What young person in the church can you disciple and equip and invest in and come alongside of? There's much good that we can do as the church, right? Much good that we can do within the walls of this church and much good we can do outside of the doors of this church as well as we have the opportunity to minister to, to one another. Um, on, on Friday, I got a phone call from, from um, the Allen Funeral Home. And, and Allen Funeral Home is the Wiley. It's in Wiley. But um, one or two things happens when I get a, a call like that. Either I know the person that's passed away or, or I don't know the person and the person doesn't have a church home. And so I get, I get this phone call and they need me to do a, a funeral. And so I, I, I said, yeah, I can do it. And it was yesterday at four o'clock. And when I got the obituary, I was reading through the obituary and I saw that this family lived in Wiley. I mean, not Wiley, they lived in Allen. And, and after the service was over, I was talking to one of the, the family members that lived in Allen. And I said, so where do y'all live? Um, and he said, well, we live in Summerfield Estates. And I said, really, that's where my family lives. And, and I said, what street do you live on? And, and they said they live on the street, one street behind us. And I said, what address do you live at? Um, and they, they were like, we live at 1720-something. Um, I said, well, we live at 1710. And so they live on one side of the, the block. I don't know which one it is, but they're right there next to us. And, you know, we've never met because they're not right behind us. But here's the reality. You know, because I was given an opportunity to, to minister to this family, I may be given an opportunity to minister to this family long term because they're not connected to, to a church. And so that's what it looks like for us as believers outside of the doors of this church. We minister to others. We come alongside them when they're hurting. 
So we come alongside people inside the church and outside the church, but when we go come alongside people on the outside of the church, we often have an opportunity to share the good news of salvation with them, don't we? So let's care for one another well inside the doors of this church and care for one another well outside of the doors of this church as well. You know, you may be here this morning, and, and you don't have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. If you were to die today, you don't know where you'd spend eternity. And if that's you, if you don't know where you'd spend eternity, if you were to die today, I'd like to share with you this morning how you can make the greatest decision that you could ever make. You may be here this morning, and the Lord is leading you and your family to make Friendship Baptist Church your church home, and we would love for you to do that as well. You know, I don't know what decision you need to make, but as we stand together, And as we enter into a time of prayer and invitation, let me just invite you to pray where you're at. Pray and ask the Father to reveal to you who it is that you need to take care of, who it is inside this church that you need to care for, and who it is outside the doors of this church as well that you need to care for. Let's stand together. I'm going to lead us in a time of prayer. Father God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the opportunity that you have given us to to be in your house, to worship you. Father, thank you for the instruction within your word. Father, the instruction where we are to honor our, 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 our senior adults in the church. We are to come alongside them and serve with them. Father, we realize that both young and old, have much to offer. And Father, as we do life together, Father, help us to do it in a God-honoring way. Father, help us, Lord Jesus, to to, um, provide opportunities as a church to see our, our elderly invest in our younger families and our younger families come alongside our elderly families to help them and support them and to walk with them during troublesome times. And Father, also help us to give special care to our widows and widowers in our church, Father. Lord, I don't know what kind of decision needs to be made after a message like this, but I pray, Father, that you will speak to each one of our hearts and reveal to us how we are to respond. Lord, we love you and we thank you. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.